Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our job here at Cleveland.com is to ask questions and report the answers. But some questions can't be answered in real time, and, well, sometimes leadership in Greater Cleveland doesn't want to answer. In this bonus episode of our This Week in the CLE podcast for February 7th, we ask some of the questions that linger from the week's news stories to provoke some discussion and generate some answers. I'm your host, Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn. What would the Northeast Ohio landscape look like if the China coronavirus hit here as hard as it has hit in China? Would it look like Wuhan does now? Those are questions we've spent the week trying to answer at Cleveland.com. Getting answers is difficult because public health officials are so worried about causing panic that they pretty much refuse to answer many questions. Little by little, though, we've been able to paint a picture of what a pandemic might look like here. First, from Summit County's Communicable Disease Unit, we've learned people would be placed into four categories of risk with the highest-risk people being isolated and the lower-risk people being monitored and coached to stay away from others. But we've also learned that quarantines in China are considered outdated in America. One, we have no proof that they work. Two, they actually could spread infection, cause economic hardships, and possibly incite civil unrest. Hospital systems do have protocols in place in case they need to quarantine people, and schools could shut down if they get hit hard. We've seen schools in two greater Cleveland districts close in recent weeks because of different illnesses. In short, the answer to the question about what the future might look like here is nothing like what we've seen in China. When will Ohio's focus on foster care embrace helping foster children once they age out of the system? Based on history, the odds against them having successful lives are abysmal. But every discussion about foster care seems to focus on what happens to children while they are in foster care, not after. Governor Mike DeWine appointed a group to hold hearings about foster care throughout the state last year, and that group just came out with its report. It has all sorts of recommendations for what to do for children while they are in foster care, but it offers nothing for when they age out. That's a critical period. In Cleveland, Amber Donovan, working through Open Table and now Community of Hope, lines up teams of people to help young adults after foster care, something that Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish has the wisdom to support. But overall, no support system exists to help these kids as they enter adulthood. 
That's a big contrast between many kids who grow up in families and continue to feel support from their parents well into their 20s. So how about it, Mike DeWine? When will you and your task force put some attention on helping these kids in those critical years when they are first out on their own? Will the people who select Barbara Snyder's replacement as the president of Case Western Reserve University be thinking about what the university could mean to this region, or will they think only about the university? The questions are key, because in the right hands, Case could evolve to mean for Cleveland what Carnegie Mellon University means to Pittsburgh. Snyder did an outstanding job of shoring up Case finances. When she arrived, things were dire. The university is a stable footing now because of her work. Can her successor now vault the university into the upper echelon where it once had been and weave it much more into the fabric of Cleveland? Can her successor boost the economic impact of the school by fostering startups that help the Northeast Ohio economy and grow its status as a research university? It all comes down to which candidate is selected, and that will be based on the priorities of those making the selection. Will those priorities include helping Cleveland prosper? If Cuyahoga County follows through on a plan to treat addicts and the mentally ill instead of charging them with crimes, what does this region look like in five years? How many thousands of people might be prospering having been successfully treated rather than foundering for having been branded as criminals? We know the numbers are high. We know how many people have been jailed for unacceptable behavior committed under the influence of drugs, alcohol, or mental duress. Credit Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish for launching the conversation on this humanitarian endeavor. He has been working for a while now to raise the money needed to build a diversion center. Eastside Ministers, County Prosecutor Michael O'Malley, and Metro Health CEO Akram Budish are proponents as well. The latest development is a study that predicts millions of dollars in taxpayer savings on jail costs if such a center is built. More important, though, how many lives will be improved for this radical change in philosophy? How could no one at Cleveland City Hall know that city-owned Cleveland Public Power was violating city code by not providing an appeals process to customers with grievances? especially since the city-owned water utility has a well-developed and publicized appeal system. Cleveland.com columnist Layla Atassi's recent piece pointed out how egregious this is. The city code requires CPP to inform customers of their right to appeals, and the utility is supposed to have a board of review to hear those appeals. Yet, Despite the frequent complaints about the failings of the power company to the administration and to city council, no one figured out that the system was supposed to be in place to deal with these complaints. How could that be? Is it evidence that the utility is in trouble, that because of market forces it might not be able to compete for customers in the future? Was it a money-saving move? City Council President Kevin Kelly says he will fix this. But will he figure out how the situation developed in the first place? Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of This Week in the CLE. We love coming up with questions, but we'd be happy to hear yours. If you have questions that linger in your minds from the news of the week, we'd be happy to chew on them in future episodes. 
drop me a line at cquinn at cleveland.com. And check out our regular podcast episodes when the reporters and editors of cleveland.com analyze what's been going on. In the latest episode published Thursday, we talk about the chaos on the Cleveland ballot and the seemingly wacky claim that school testing might cause white suburban boys to conduct mass shootings. (laughs) ¶¶